The following podcast contains explicit language. Operation Backbone was a big deal. Nearly a dozen police officers were charged with accepting money to guard drug shipments. The cops came from Detroit and some of the surrounding suburbs. They were men and women, black and white. In many cases, federal authorities say the officers used unmarked police cars and wore their uniforms. The transactions were recorded on video by the feds. Kathy Volson Curry was arrested for her involvement. Kathy Volson Curry, the niece of Detroit Mayor Coleman Young, was also in court today, charged with introducing agents she thought were smugglers to Harris. On this spring day in 1991, we see her walking out of court in a navy blazer, big shoulder pads, a polka dot headband. As she left the courthouse this afternoon, the mayor's niece would only say, I feel like you were set up in this deal. Yeah. yeah. After considering the case against Kathy Volson, federal prosecutors decided not to go forward with the charges. She was, uh, there were concerns uh, because of her uh, situation. Um, she was in a drug rehab program. And since she was in a drug rehab program and she ended up uh, in a uh, drug-related meeting uh, with the FBI, uh, we believe that uh, it would be cumbersome to charge her as a defendant in the case uh, for the obvious reasons. So she was named as an unindicted co-conspirator and she ended up as a witness for the defense, her father. Meanwhile, Rick's name re-emerged in the papers and local TV for the first time since his arrest four years earlier. A chance for Rick to talk about getting even with the police department that arrested him and later failed to come to his defense at trial by saying he was employed as a police informant before he started selling drugs. How the FBI got onto the allegations against Harris is an interesting story in itself. Sources say that it was information provided by convicted cocaine dealer Richard Worshey Jr. Rick was 21 years old. For his cooperation, he was moved from a state prison in Michigan to a less restrictive prison in Arizona. But before he left, former WDIV-TV crime reporter Chris Hansen got a chance to sit down and interview him. It was more casual. I mean, he was dressed, as I recall, in a you know, bright Hawaiian-type shirt and some slacks. And, and um, you know, we had our conversation, and he pleaded his case, and I think he was telling the truth. And he was still 21. He was still... Still a kid. I just proved that what I say is the truth. You proved it by what happened a few weeks ago. That's right. And they haven't even scratched the surface. Those seven or ten police... That's nothing. There's the corruption runs so deep in there, it's, it's a shame, man. Part of that deeper corruption Rick was referring to had to do with one man in particular, one of Detroit's most powerful and popular police officers, Gil Hill. All, all roads lead back to him. From WDIV and Grand Media, this is Shattered, the white boy Rick story. Chapter 6, Inspector Todd. You may have heard the name Gil Hill before. Not only was he a top boss in the Detroit Police Department, he also played one in the movies. How you like that arrangement? Hill played the part of Eddie Murphy's boss, Inspector Todd, in Beverly Hills Cop 1, 2, and 3. I'm undercover deep now. This is deep, but I'm going deeper. I'm tired of your bullshit, Foley. You got three days. 
To connect Gil Hill to Rick Wershey, we have to go back to 1985, when Rick was still an informant, and the Curry Gang still ruled the streets on the east side. That year in Detroit, there were over 600 murders. Pretty much every day down there, we knew someone who died. And it became like, that was like normal. But there was one murder in 1985 that still haunts Rick today. Even truthfully, I wish I never would have got roped into the Damian Lucas thing because I didn't know 30 years later it would still be affecting my life. Rick thinks the drive-by shooting of 13-year-old Damian Lucas could be a reason he's still in prison. Lucas was killed in the spring of 1985. Rick had just returned home from the Hagler-Hearns boxing match in Las Vegas. He was sent there by the FBI to gather information about drug dealer Johnny Curry. Rick says when he was in Vegas, he remembers Johnny Curry being pissed off at one of his associates, Leon Lucas. Rick says Lucas screwed up and failed to get Curry tickets to the fight. Basically, he embarrassed Johnny Curry out in Vegas because everything that he said he could do, he didn't do. So Johnny kind of looked like an idiot. Rick says Johnny sent one of his guys to shoot up Leon Lucas's house as revenge, but they mistakenly killed Leon's nephew, Damien, in the act. And so did word get back to Johnny Curry that they killed the kid instead? Yes, sir. He called a meeting and basically told everyone that, that was in his crew or hanging around him at the time that explained what happened. Basically, he was pissed off at the people who did it and said, you know, you were sent over there to do one thing, this happened. If anybody's picked up or if they ask you for any information, please come right to me and let me know and I'll take care of you. Rick says he notified his FBI handlers right away. Yes, I told them the whole scenario from start to finish. In an FBI document from the time, Rick says the murder was an accident and that the killers only meant to shoot up Lucas's house. They just kept telling me to get as much information as I could. I kept hanging around them and that's when I found out that Gil Hill was responsible for covering up the kid's murder. Gil Hill was the head of homicide in the Detroit Police Department at the time. He died in 2016, so there's no way for him to defend himself from these allegations. But Rick and his former FBI handlers maintain that Gil Hill played a big part in keeping Rick locked up for so long. And it all started with the Damian Lucas murder. FBI agent Greg Schwartz backs up Rick's account. The PIN register revealed that uh, telephone calls were being made uh, from Johnny Curry to the office of Gil Hill. After that, Rick says Johnny went downtown to meet with Gil Hill. He said he gave Gil 10 grand to cover up the kid's murder. Gil Hill made his big screen debut as Inspector Todd in 1984. You know how much this little stunt of yours is going to cost this city? I don't think cost is the issue here, sir. I think the issue... The Damian Lucas murder happened one year later. We asked Johnny Curry about paying off Gil Hill to cover up the murder. Curry denies his involvement. I have no knowledge of that. But FBI agent Greg Schwartz says 
he met with Johnny Curry in a federal prison in Texas. He confirmed that the bribe took place. Johnny Curry took $10,000 and he took it over and he gave it to Gil Hill to basically squash any investigation that would come back to the Curry brothers with regards to that shooting. At the time, Agent Schwartz went to see Detroit's chief of police, William Hart. He wanted to talk to him about Lucas's murder and Gil Hill's role in possibly covering it up. I gave him all the information. He reviewed it. Uh, I believe this was on a Thursday. He said that he would uh, make sure that a proper investigation would ensue. On Monday, I went back. I was told Chief Hart was busy and that uh, I wouldn't be able to see him. That pretty much terminated our efforts uh, with regards to helping the Detroit Police Department bring that to a logical conclusion. Eventually, a guy named Lakeish Davis was named as a suspect in the Damian Lucas murder. FBI agent Herm Groman says Davis had nothing to do with it. He might have killed other people, but he never killed, uh, he wasn't involved in this case. He wasn't even related to it. And uh, they pinned the homicide on him. People don't have to believe me. People could say, oh, Gil was this, Gil was that. Gil was a corrupt cop who took bribes, who tried to put an innocent man in jail for a murder who he knew didn't commit a murder. That's what Gil Hill is. He tried to send someone to prison for the rest of their life because he took a $10,000 bribe to cover up the murder of Damian Lucas. And he knew the guy that he was putting in prison did not murder Damian Lucas. The case was eventually dismissed, and the murder remains unsolved today. This wasn't the last time the FBI looked into Gil Hill's possible misdeeds. They tried to rope him into Operation Backbone's police sting as well. FBI agent Mike Castro posed as a drug dealer in a meeting with Hill. He says Hill was receptive to taking money to protect drug shipments. We had a meeting at a hotel in, in Detroit, and there were three of us who were undercover agents, and Willie Bolson was there, and Gil Hill brought the manager of the, one of the Motown music groups. I thought that was very unusual, but he was a spotter. A spotter is someone brought in to sniff out any weird vibes. This music manager said, hey, I don't know what the story is, but these guys are either feds or something else that was weird about them. And he picked up on that. During the FBI investigation, Hill met with Harris, a longtime friend, Bolson, and the undercover agent posing as the drug dealer. But Hill refused to get involved. He says the entire probe smacks of entrapment. It seems like this upset you. Tremendously. Tremendously. Still unclear is whether or not Councilman Hill tried to notify anyone that he was approached to help launder drug money. No one with either the FBI or the U.S. Attorney's Office was available for comment on this latest revelation. At the Federal Building in downtown Detroit, I'm Chris Hansen, Nightbeat. Political consultant Adolf Mongo. I talked to Gil. <laughs> Gil said... Rick was a damn liar. I assume that people in prison probably make up lies to try and better their situation. Yeah. But the information he gave on everybody else panned out. The FBI, FBI made cases on all those other There's cops. no question. They, they couldn't make a case on Gil Hill. So, you know, 
And I believe if they had a case on Gil Hill, they would have arrested Gil Hill. You know, Gil Hill was a was a cop's cop. Don't you think if they had something on Gil Hill, they would have took him out? Hill was never charged, let alone found guilty. But his association to corruption was damaging to his public image. And he publicly blamed Rick, who had been feeding the FBI information about him. Rick Wershey isn't the only person accusing Gil Hill of wrongdoing. Hitman Nate Booncraft says Hill knew way back in 1985 that Rick was telling police Hill covered up the murder of Damian Lucas. Remember, FBI agent Greg Schwartz went to the head of the Detroit Police Department and told them they arrested the wrong man. Nate Kraft says Gil Hill was furious that Wershey was telling the FBI Hill was involved in a cover-up. So furious that Gil Hill was one of the people who hired Nate Kraft to kill Rick. Somebody called and said they want white boy Rick taken out. I believe Gil wanted me dead. I believe Gil knew that I was the informant on the Damian Lucas murder, and I believe that Gil wanted me dead. Kraft told us he and Gil Hill met at Belle Isle in the mid-'80s. Belle Isle is like Detroit's version of Central Park in New York. The weather was sunny. I had a short song. I was sitting there on the phone when he came up. He was like, you boo? I said, no, I'm boom. You got the money? There's no way to confirm this story, because remember, Gil Hill passed away in 2016. But this is Nate Booncraft's version of what happened. But Gil did tell you he wanted you to kill white boy Rick? Exact word was, we want this boy taken care of. I said, well, ain't no problem as long as you got the money. He said, I got half. I said, that would that be a start. So you want me to kill the boy? He said, yeah, yeah. We saw him at trial, and he was dressed up as a security guard. Obviously, the hit was unsuccessful. Gil Hill was never charged with any crimes. He went on to become a Detroit City Council president. In 2001, he unsuccessfully ran for mayor against Kwame Kilpatrick. Rick thinks if he never ratted on Hill, things could have been different for him. I embarrassed a lot of people. I got, I put egg on a lot of people's faces down there. But all I did was what I was asked and all I did was tell the truth. Here's FBI agent Greg Schwartz's theory. And so, the word went out from Gil Hill. The word went to the police department. The word went to the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office. You make sure he stays in jail forever. Forever. And they did. They did. They say a day in prison is like a month, a month like a year, and a year like a decade. For Rick Wershey, it's been a lifetime behind bars. And what makes it worse? He can't figure out why he's still there. I know for a fact that Mr. Gary, the ex-parole board member, told me that I'm the only juvenile that's been in prison under the 650 law that's still in prison. And what would you tell people who, are, who say... 
well, look, drugs are bad, and he brought a lot of drugs into the city, and, and, and he's, a, he's a bad guy. What would you say to them about the fact that you were only 17? I told them to look in the mirror because when you're 17, you don't make the best decisions in life. But I was led into that decision by people that I trusted. I was led down this path by law enforcement. I think about every day if I would have walked away. I was a kid. I was stupid. Rick is frustrated. He misses his kids. Before he was locked up in 1988, he had three children with three different women. I regret every day. I, I never got to take my kids to school. I was never there to protect my kids. I was never there to, to watch them grow, to do anything with them. Every, I really don't even know my children. Every day I live with that. Today, his children are 32, 30, and 29 years old. He has six grandkids and tries to stay in touch with them as best he can from behind bars. Truthfully, dude, I mean, it's it's a fight every day. You have peaks and valleys. I have good days and bad days. I I look forward to, you know, my grandkids. I talk to them. I write them. My, my, you know, my friends, people keep me going, man. Rick was languishing in prison under the 650 Lifer Law which mandated a life sentence for anyone caught with over 650 grams of cocaine or heroin. But then in 1992, the Michigan Supreme Court overturned the law, calling it unduly disproportionate and unconstitutional. This meant Rick's sentence was changed from life without parole to life with the possibility of parole. You really thought you were coming home in 2003. Why is that? Because I had just watched another guy go home that had a 500 kilo federal case and life from the state that was released in 10 years. And they came and checked out where you were going to live and all that stuff? Yeah, they went and did a home inspection at my mother's house. They gave me a parole officer and everything. And then it all just turned right before the hearing. Yeah. Coming up next. I would say that whoever wrote that letter lied. That they didn't know what they were talking about. And, and the letter's a pack of lies. They were told what to say. They were told how to say it. So they went in there and they basically lied through their teeth. And so Rick never had a chance. There's people in here every day that I watch them, they stab people in prison and commit violent acts in prison, touch another case in prison, and they're, and they're paroled. They're in here for violence, they commit a violent act in prison, and they paroled out. So, why am I so different? Today's episode was produced by Zach Rosen and me. It was edited and mixed by Zach Rosen. Tad Davis is our assistant producer. WDIV's executive producer of special projects is Ro Coppola. WDIV's news director is Kim Voet. My name is Kevin Dietz. Jerry Lemonu created original illustrations for each episode of this season. See them at whiteboyrick.show. If you like the podcast, consider writing a review for us in the Apple Podcast Store. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook 
at Shattered Podcast. Don't forget Season 1 of Shattered, all about the missing Skelton Boys. It's available in this very feed. Thank you for listening.